Here we, we had made it, uh, made it through verse 11. We had, we've already examined the message to the church at Ephesus and how they had done many wonderful things. And they left off their first love. They uh, left off the love for the brethren, which is uh, the, one of the largest signs of how you can tell if one is a brother in Christ, is the love for the brethren. And the church at Smyrna, they, the Lord told them that, I, that he knew their works, their tribulation, their poverty, even though they're rich. They're rich, not in material wealth. They were considered poor by men, but by the Lord they were considered rich. And he knows the blasphemy of them that, that say they are Jews and are not. They, they might be Jews according to the flesh, but they are not true Jews. They may have the circumcision circumcision of the flesh, but they do not have the circumcision of the heart. That is what makes uh, a Jew a true Jew, having, having both the circumcision of the flesh and of the heart. Uh, these only had the first. They only had the circumcision of the flesh. Therefore, they are not true Jews. They are of the gathering place, the synagogue of Satan. But he tells them to not fear them, to not fear and I have yet, have yet to count how many times we are told to fear not or to uh, fear none of these things, to not fear, because that is our natural inclination, to fear, to be concerned about what is going on, not, not in a way, not just in the way that we are aware. We ought to be aware of what's going on. We ought to not stick our heads in the sand like an ostrich, uh, even though they've observed that ostrich, uh, ostriches don't really do that. But that's how the saying goes. Uh, we're not to stick our heads in the sand. We're to be aware of what's going on, but we're not to fear what's going on. We're not to fear ye their fear, Isaiah says, I believe, in uh, chapter 5. We're not to fear what the world fears. The world fears all kinds of things that they themselves have created. Climate change, that, that's not real. That's not real. But yet the world fears these things. Uh, just, just furthering here, he tells them to not fear. What is, what is, uh, uh, fear none of the things which thou, thou shalt suffer. Be aware of them. Do not fear them. Do not tremble before them. We're not to tremble before men, but before God. The Lord, the Lord Christ said, do not fear the one who has power to kill the body, but afterward can do nothing. Fear him that has power to both kill the body and soul in hell. That is the one that we are to fear, that we are to revere, we are to hold in reverence, a reverential fear, understanding who he is and where we stand before him. But he tells them to be faithful unto death, and he will give them a crown of life. Him that has an ear, let him hear. In verse 11, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that, overcome, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And that will be a, a, uh, a constant admonition. He that overcomes, he that overcomes. We'll see that if we, if we end up making it uh, to verse 17, same thing. He that overcomes. And how do we overcome? Christ said, fear not, I've overcome the world. We overcome the world by faith, by believing God's word, by believing what he says. But it is also we overcome the world by Christ. In many instances, faith is put for the object of that faith, which is the Lord Christ. He is what our, what our, our, uh, our resting place, 
for our faith. Our faith has found a resting place, and it is in the Lord Christ. We begin in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. He tells, he tells uh, John to write this message to the messenger, uh, to the messenger of the church in Pergamos. Now this is again a local, a local New Testament church that had been established in Pergamos in a city in Asia Minor, uh, what we would call modern day Turkey. Uh, all of these, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, all of these churches are local New Testament churches located in Asia Minor. These things saith he that which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now we've already seen, we've already seen that in chapter 1 and, and uh, uh, no, not chapter 1, verse 11, uh, verse 16, chapter 1 and verse 16. He had... In his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now this is the, the Son of Man, uh, the one that said, Alpha, I am Alpha and Omega, in verse 11. And it is the same one in Revelation chapter 19 that has a sharp sword uh, coming out of his mouth. Revelation 19 and... Now, this is a, a, a new Bible. In my, in my other Bible, I knew exactly where it was located. There it is, 19 and verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. So it is not a literal sword. It is his words that proceed out of his mouth. In the beginning, when God created, he spoke, and it, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast, we're told in the Psalms. His words accomplish things. He speaks, the one who called light out of darkness, when he said, let there be light and there was light, his words caused things to happen. He spoke light to our hearts and we began to understand. He, our, our hearts were dark. It was, uh, we loved darkness before that time. But when he spoke light to our hearts, life was imparted. When, when the Lord Christ said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus didn't have a choice. Life was imparted, and he came forth. He didn't say, I can't, I'm dead, because life was imparted in those words. We too, the same way, when he says, brother, come forth, we too come forth with new life. His words accomplish things. So when, he, when, the, when the sword is going out of his mouth, it is his words, that with his words he should smite the nations there in Revelation 19 and verse 15. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And it is our Lord Christ. It is, it is he who is in this text called the Word of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in Revelation 19. It is our Lord Christ who is speaking. It is he that has the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, I, and of course, as always, if there's any comments, questions, feel free to... Uh, chime right in. This is, this is a, 
uh, open, open time, for open discussion. He tells them, I know, I know where you, I know your works, and I know where you're dwelling. I know where you're living, even where Satan's seat is. Now, Pergamos was a place of, of much, as, as much of, of these large cities, was a place of much pagan worship. Pagan worship. It had a, uh, a large throne-shaped altar to Zeus. Zeus was the, uh, in, in, to, the, to the Greeks and the Romans, he was their god of gods. He was their, their chief god, if you will. Satan's seat. Uh, their equiv- their, what they would have considered equivalent. They had a pantheon of gods. They had lots of gods. They, but Zeus was the father of all the gods. To them, this would have been Satan's seat. What they were trying to equate our Lord God to. Our Lord God does not have an equal. He does not have anybody that stands next to him. He is, Lord God. He is the Lord God and he is the Lord God alone. And there are no other gods. There are no other gods before him, nor shall there be any gods after him. He is the only God. But pagan worship, idolatry, is raising anything up to be equal with God. We understand that that is what the pagans unknowingly sought to do. They thought that they had the true religion. They thought that they had the true gods. But they did not. They had no gods just as all of the other idolatrous religions throughout the ages, just as we did before we were saved, before, before we came to an understanding of the truth. We had idols. We had, we had things that we raised up to the level of God, whether it be sports or work or uh, you could it, pick anything. Man is, is an idolatry machine. He will raise anything up to be equal to God. That is what the pagans did with, with their worship. He knows where they are dwelling, even where Satan's seat is. Also, uh, another, another god that, that had its uh, uh, um, stronghold here, the, the, god, the god of medicine. I'm, uh, I can't remember what, what that god's name is, but it was a snake. It was, uh, that god was shaped as a serpent, which is still found in the emblem of medicine. The snake around the pole. Hippocrates? Yes. Same, same God was there. And that is apparently still in, our, uh, uh, still, still in our symbolism today. The God of healing. Uh, and he knows where they're dwelling, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name. The Lord Christ. They were holding fast to who the Lord Christ is and what he has done. They're not, they're not blaspheming his name as others are. The, the blasphemy of the Jews which are not there in Smyrna that we, that we looked at uh, a few weeks ago. But they, the, those in Pergamos, hold fast Christ's name and has not denied his faith. What he, what he has done, the religion of worshiping him for who he is, and what he has done, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. Now, uh, we understand what martyr means. He died for standing true. He was a, uh, the martyr is a transliteration. It is taken from Greek letters and put into English letters. It is the Greek term martus, 
where we get our term martyr, it translated literally means witness. He was killed for his witness, standing, standing faithful on the word of God, standing true for who Christ is and what he has done, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, that there is a king other than Caesar, that there is a king above Caesar. That was blasphemy to, to the pagans. That was blasphemy to the Romans. Caesar was king and there was none other. But standing for the other king, standing for the true king, was blasphemy to them and uh, could have been very much a part of why Antipas was put to death for that witness. Who was slain among you where Satan dwells. Those that are walking after. Do you remember Christ saying in John 8.44, speaking to the Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil? The devil has children, not, not in the same way that we are the children of God. The devil cannot beget children. God begets children. You and I are begotten, begotten of God. Of him have we been given new life. Those that are children of the devil walk after his ways. He is their, he is their spiritual father. He, they walk after the prince of the air, after the course of this world. They walk after his ways, being, him being the father of lies, they are deceived. They are deceived. John eight forty four. Christ makes that plain. Turn, turn there with me. We'll, we'll look at it quickly. John eight forty four, and and this goes with the with the understanding of what God told Eve in the garden in Genesis three fifteen. The first time that that uh, what Christ would do is mentioned. In Genesis 3.15, telling the Eve that her seed, women don't have seed, that her seed shall crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent shall bruise his heel, and that there will be enmity between his seed, the serpent's seed, and her seed. Women, again, don't have seed. That's speaking of the virgin birth. And that, that there will be hostility between Christ and those that walk after the devil in his ways. Here is confirmation that that is what that's, what that's talking about. Now, Christ doesn't say, hey, Genesis 3.15, that's talking about me. But there's two, there's two types of people in this world. There's not three, there's two. There are children of the devil, and there are children of God. There is only, there is only two. Now, there are lots of children of God that don't understand that they're children of God, that they that they will come to understand, that they will come to understand who Christ is and what they have done. But here in John 8:44, Christ says to the Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He murdered Adam and Eve. He deceived Eve, and Adam walked in the same ways. He killed them. He, he, was the, he is the one who is considered the murderer. That's why, that's why the Lord cursed him. Now, he had fallen before that time. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have been there to deceive Adam and Eve. And abode not in the truth. He doesn't live in the truth, and he never has. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. The lies that he... Uh, the the half-truths. A half-truth is still a lie. That is what he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, a half-truth. Oh, you shall not surely die physically. But they died spiritually that day. 
They, they, that is the fall of man. That is when we died spiritually in our parents, Adam and Eve. Eve's name was Adam in that day, you see in Genesis 5.1, that in the day that they were both created, their, their names were Adam. Eve was not named until after the fall. Uh, sure, I think it's um, Genesis 3.27-ish is when Eve is named. Uh, Eve, Eve was originally named Adam. So was obviously Adam. Adam being the Hebrew equivalent of mankind. That is why they both carried the same name. We continue. Satan, Satan is a deceiver and has been from, a beginning, from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of it. So these Gentiles, these pagans, he had deceived that they, that they sought to worship. It's one of those things that, that until we look back at ourselves... I, I struggle to understand now how anybody could be deceived by a multitude of gods. That doesn't make any sense to me now. But when I look at the way I was before, I can understand it because I, I was deceived. I thought that the things of this world is what mattered. Taking care of my family was, was, my, was my duty and my duty alone, that there was no other help, that... Uh, I was really into video games, and I loved playing video games. I've since sold them off. It's a waste of time. There's no, there's no point to even, even have them. Grown, grown men wasting days and days and days doing those things, raising it to the level of God. I understand how these pagans can be deceived, thinking that, that, that they're worshiping the, the true gods. Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The, these are true. All of these cities actually existed. Uh, some of them don't exist any longer. Some of them have new names. Uh, some of them have, were taken over and had uh, and were destroyed, and new cities built on top of the rubble. But these, yes, at this point in time, these were true, actual cities with with actual churches located in them, and these are actual events that are either going to happen, you know, like uh, he tells Smyrna, fear not the things that thou shalt suffer, speaking of things that are going to happen in the future. Uh, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. So that would be ten days, maybe not ten days into the future, but it would be ten days at some point in the future. Um, and, and, you know, some of it is symbolic. They weren't, they weren't worshiping Satan. They were worshiping Zeus on that throne. But it was Satan that had deceived them. Yep. You either worship the gods or your God. That's right. That's what Jesus said. They're against us. That's right. He that gathereth not with, with me scattereth. As much as I hate to say, mm -hmm. I wasn't physically worshiping Satan before I was saved. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were walking, uh, Ephesians 2 makes it, makes it plain. We were walking after the, after the course of this world, after following the prince of the power of the air, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. Walk, we were by nature the children of disobedience, of, of uh, the children of wrath, excuse me. We, we had the same nature as them. We, we were just like them. If you put us in a lineup, you would have, only God knows. Only, only God at that point in time knew who we were. We had no idea who we were. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. We were right with it. We would have, you could have never, uh, Christians could have never picked us out of a lineup. We're going to uh, finish, finish the series on Paul. But think about Paul as he's going to Damascus. He looks like a child of the devil. He, you, you, you stick him next to a, a pagan with a Christian saying, pick, pick which one's a child of God, they would have said, I have no idea. He hates me. He wants to throw me in jail. He wants to put me to death because he thinks I'm blaspheming the God of our fathers when, in fact, I'm just following right in line with what the, with, with what the Old Testament taught. Now, they didn't call it the Old Testament back then. It was, <laughs> right, right. It was just the Testament. It was just the, the, the scriptures. Um, but, uh, uh, but we've seen that God can, turn, God can turn the heart like that. Turn, turn an in, the, one of the greatest enemies of the faith into the, one of the greatest men of the faith that have ever lived. Uh, but he, just like us, walked after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air, uh, and, and was uh, ju- just, just like we were. That's why, uh, that's why I think the Lord did exactly what he did with Paul and why he says Paul is an ensample to those who should believe on Christ hereafter uh, because he is such a wonderful example of what our God does. Uh, we, we continue. Um, Antipas was, was martyred for the witness that uh, he was put to death for the witness that he had. And they, even though they were all living where Satan dwells, the, the Lord God knows what is going on. But I have a few things against thee. They've done wonderful things, standing, holding fast, standing firm on Christ's name and not denying his faith. And, and one, thing, one thing else to notice, Christ's faith. He says, you haven't denied my faith. Christ, Christ, our perfect example, believed his Father in everything he did. Every step he took, he believed his Father. We are justified, not by our faith, Depending, if you're reading a new Bible, you'll see justified, uh, uh, justified by faith. Now, in Galatians is where, where I'm wanting to... Uh, 2.16, yes. Uh, a, a perfect example of this and why, why the King James is, is the Bible to stick with today. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Not faith in Christ, faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It is not by our faith that we are justified. Our faith brings us into an experience 
of what Christ has done on our behalf. Christ believing his Father in everything he did. That's why he said, not my will, but thine be done. Not, not believing everything his Father told him to do. Believing, every, walking in obedience to his Father every step of the way is the faith of Christ. His faith is reckoned to us as righteousness because he was perfectly righteous in everything he did. We are justified by his faith, not by our own. Our faith is how we come into an experience of it. Just in, it is taught today that we're justified by our faith. We come into an understanding of justification by believing God. Yes, but it is nothing more than that. Our faith is not meritorious. If it is, why did Christ have to die? If our faith earned salvation, Christ did not have to die. And Paul even makes, uh, makes that claim in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain, implying our salvation rests on Christ's death and his death alone. Not our faith. We can have all the faith in the world. If Christ didn't die on our behalf, if he wasn't the perfect Savior that he claimed to be, if he's not risen, showing that his Father accepted that sacrifice... Our faith is vain, salvifically. Now, we ought to have still believed God and walked in all of his ways. But salvifically speaking, we're lost. Our faith is vain, salvifically speaking. Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Our faith does not merit justification. It is how we come to understand what Christ has done for us, justifying us by his blood. Romans 5.9 and Revelation 5.9 as, uh, amongst others. He, they have not denied his faith, whether his religion or the fact that he believed, believed his father in everything he did and thus justified us by his faith. Verse 14, but I have a few things against thee. They've done many marvelous things, but he has a, a few things against them. Because thou hast, thou hast there them that, say that five times fast, hold the doc, that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. The few things that he has against them is because he has, they have them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now what did... What did Balaam, we remember the story of Balaam. Come to, come to Second, uh, Second Peter 2.15, where Balaam is also described. Second Peter 2.15, we'll get, we'll get verse 14 also for context. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covet. Covetous practices, cursed, uh, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of, of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. The dumbass being the old English way of saying mute donkey. Now, that's taken a completely different meaning today, but... 
just just to uh, keep in mind of what's what's being what's being discussed here. Balaam, that love the wages of unrighteousness. Numbers twenty two through twenty five. We've got time. Let's let's go there quickly, and we'll see. We'll see that Balaam actually received instruction of the Lord of what exactly to do. But he did it with a different with a different heart than what the Lord intended to do. Numbers twenty two and twenty. So Balak had already come to him, sent sent people to him trying to convince him uh, to take money. What's that? Uh, to take to, to yeah. Uh, he was a prophet for hire, trying to convince him to. Uh, um, come curse Israel, for Balak was the king of Moab, and he was concerned about the Israelites in the wilderness. In verse 20 of Numbers 22, God came to Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee thou shalt do. So he said, If the men come to you, then go with them. Verse 21, and Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. They didn't call, they didn't call him. He said, oh, I've got permission from the Lord. I'm going to take this money, and I'm going uh, to go. But I'm only, he, does, he, he doesn't curse Israel. But in Numbers 25, you see uh, at, the, at the beginning of chapter 1, or at the beginning of chapter 25, verse 1, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. That was by the teaching of Balaam. Uh, Balaam said to Balak, hey, you, I, I can't curse. I can't curse them because God won't let me. But you can do this. You can send your daughters over there and seduce them. You can cause them to commit fornication. What was one of the things that Israel was told to do? You are a holy nation. You are a separate people. Do not intermingle with the other nations. But here, they did. They intermingled, and, and in many other instances, and it was always a snare to them. It was always a snare. They were to be a separate people. And you can read the rest of that passage yourself and see, all, uh, and see the instance. Uh, some some would say that that dolphins are the the smartest animals, and some would say monkeys. And but a donkey is the only one that's ever spoken English or Hebrew. Um, so there there's there's uh, an animal that's in the running for for smartest animal. Uh, read that passage at at uh, uh, at your at your own time, and you can see all that. Uh, all that Balaam was was bid to speak, but we can we continue in Revelation. They had the they had them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block. That was the Moabite women, Mo, the 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 Moabite women before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols. For when they would intermingle with uh, with the Moabite women, when when they would intermarry, they Brought, they brought also their religion, their, their false gods, into Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. That was part, in many instances, that was part of their worship. And that, that, is, not, uh, that is not worship. 
fornication in no way is to be considered worship with the true, worshiping the true God. But that, is what, that was part of theirs. Two things that Israel was told not to commit. Uh, they then start, began to commit. Uh, and eating, st- eating things sacrificed to idols in and of itself, we do have the liberty to do it. 1 Corinthians 8. Now as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Verse 4, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For, there, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as, many be called, as, there, are, as there be gods many, and lords many, but, there, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But we take heed, lest by any means the liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So he is saying here, we have the liberty of we have the there is no law that says we can't eat things sacrificed to idols unless it is a conscience issue it is a conscience issue verse 10 for if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple thou shalt not uh, shalt not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, now meat in the King James is food. It wasn't strictly flesh. It wasn't strictly what we call meat. It was, it was general food. I will eat no flesh while, uh, while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So he says there to put your brother's conscience ahead of your own. If your brother sees, sees something that's going to offend his conscience, that's going to make him stumble, don't do it. Don't use your liberty as causing your brother to stumble. That, that is the reason, personally, why I don't drink. I have the ability to. Christ drank wine. Alcohol is allowed in moderate amounts. But I don't because I know that the Lord has saved many people from alcoholism, and I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. This, uh, I'm not using, I'm intending to keep my liberty and, and not to use it as a stumbling block for my brother. Same way with the meat sacrifice to idols. How many Gentiles were saved out of pagan worship? And then they see their brother that doesn't have an issue with pagan, that never had an issue with pagan worship, eating the meat that was, eating the food that was sacrificed to the idols. They, they... It would, it would cause them to stumble. They, don't, they think, oh, okay, that must, it must be okay to worship, worship idols. Though that brother that's eating that meat is saying it doesn't, he knows that this is not worship, that this is just food. This was uh, when, when food was sacrificed to idols, one would bring it in, give it to the temple for free, and then it was sacrificed. It was called holy. It was you know, whatever they did. But there was nothing wrong with it physically. And then they would sell it at a cheaper price. So people would buy the food at a cheaper price. 
but that was also giving money to the pagan temple. So there were, there were some Christians with issues with that. We don't have pagan worship in that same sense today. So it's, it's kind of a hard thing to, to equate to, um, uh, unless one can come up with an example, uh, a similar example. But that's what Paul was getting at there in 1 Corinthians 8. It's a conscience issue. If, you, if your conscience uh, uh, has an issue with it, don't do it. And that's what they were convinced of here. Even though they had a conscience issue against it, they were being taught to do it. They were being taught to eat meat sacrificed to idols, though they, they should not have been taught to do that. I am not here teaching that you ought to meet, eat meat sacrificed to idols. But if one, if one has an issue with it and you're with them, don't do it. Uh, that's, that's what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians 8. Here, they were taught specifically to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. We have explicit texts that teach against the committing of fornication, the uh, relations of men and women outside of the covenant of marriage. That we, we understand that that was not to happen. That is what Balaam taught Balak to do, to cast a stumbling block before Israel. They had people within their church that held that doctrine. That was the few things that he had against them. Verse 15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which, I, which thing I hate. We stop at 40, 45. Just a, a, couple, a couple of minutes left. They have also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we looked at that with uh, the church at Ephesus back in chapter 2, verse 6. Nicolaitans literally translate to people destroyers or people rulers. Those that sought to, uh, this, this is where you're, you're going to get my opinion. I believe that the, that the clergy, this is the beginning of the teaching that the clergy is above the layman. This, that is not to be found in the Lord's churches. The clergy is not above. The, the, the preacher, the teacher, the pastor, he's a member just like anybody else. And he, might, he might be given a specific calling, a specific position within the local church, but he has no more power, no more say, no more, uh, no more uh, 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 votes. He doesn't get two votes and everybody else only gets one. He is a member of the local church. He is, he is an elder. He may be the chief elder. He may be the chief advisor for the, local, for the local body. But he is not the head of the local body. The Lord Christ is the head of the church. Not the pastor, not the clergy, not the pope. Not, not the cardinals, not the, uh, uh, what's some of the other really weird things that the, that the Church of Rome has. Uh, the, the, the people that determine the teachings, I can't remember. There's, like, there's a group of, uh, I, can't, I can't What's that? Uh, it, um, that's part of their command structure. It's a, it's a, it's a magisterium. That's it. They have a group of people that determine the doctrinal standings of the Church of Rome called the Magisterium. And you don't find that in the scriptures for me. You won't. Um, that is where I believe that type of teaching came from, the Nicolaitans, that the clergy was above, uh, was above 
your average church member, and we are not. The, the, there is no, uh, um, the pastor takes the oversight willingly. He doesn't force oversight. He doesn't rule with an iron fist. He takes the oversight willingly. Yes, sir. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Christ led by example. He is our perfect example that we ought to walk in his footsteps, we're told in one of, one of Peter's epistles. Uh, the pastor is to, be, is to be that way. Obviously, he can't be Christ. He can't die for anybody. But you understand what I'm, what I'm getting at. He is to be an example to the flock. He is to lead them, lead them, not push. Uh, he is a, he is a, a, a counselor. He is a, a, a guider. He's a shepherd. The shepherd, uh, um, uh, he's an under-shepherd. That's what we're told in Acts 20, 28, that they are the shepherd uh, placed over the flock where God, where God would have them to be. We're, we're just, just past time, so we will uh, pick up at verse 16 next time. Thank you for your time and attention this morning.